0: This broadcast is coming to you from Unceded Gadigal Land. I'd like to pay my respects to Gadigal Elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to the communities of Redfern and Waterloo. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Out of the box.
1: Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box
2: with Mia Hull on FBI Radio.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in. My name is Mia Hull and this is Out of the Box. This show is live to air midday through to 1pm on FBI Radio and of course available to stream on the podcast whenever you like. Normally I sit down with one person and talk about the songs and stories that have shaped their life. But today we get two for the price of one. Alexandra Ketty and Bobby Jean Henning are the creative minds behind the web series, The Power of the Dream. A beautiful story about a cousin best friend Joe who dream of the Olympics alex and bobby 's stories parallel and intersect and traverse and merge, and today we 're going to follow the two paths to the same destination: a web series and Olympic gold maybe we 'll find out. Thanks for jumping on the show today, ladies. Thank you so Hello. much for having us. So I guess the premise of this web series is the pursuit of dreams. Let's talk about the pursuit of dreams. I'll start off with you, Alex. Were you much of a dreamer growing up? Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, I um, I grew up kind of watching watching movies and watching TV shows, and I would kind of it was quite an escape, I would say, watching um, you know watching these big grand stories um, was definitely something that I would kind of escape to and just imagine myself in those situations and and being one of those people on screen one day. I think I had a pretty clear understanding pretty
0: early on that that was acting and it was storytelling. It wasn't real. And when you had that idea of that being a wonderful job that you would want to have one day, were you in an environment where that was nurtured? Were your parents supportive of that?
2: I was very, very lucky. I mean, I'm sure when I was, you know, because I had that pretty strong desire from you know 11 or 12 um I'm sure they thought it was just like a fun little thing that I would just enjoy doing as an after-school activity and that I would you know bore of it quickly and move on to something more you know sensible but no I think I just kind of I I kept on I kept holding on to it and my parents I think I think it's a mixture of me being very headstrong and I wouldn't (laughs) I wouldn't uh, allow them to not let me but at the same time being very supported by them and you know um they very much were like yeah look if that's what you want to do you you can make it happen and and yeah very supportive but not pushy at all mm-hmm. it was like I was the one that was looking up in the phone book for acting classes and agents and everything from when I was like 12 and being like Mum, I would like you to drive me here please that was when I was in Brisbane we were living kind of quite near Ipswich at the time so we'd drive into the city on a Saturday morning and I'd go to acting classes in the city for two hours and yeah pretty lucky to have that um, that access to that. And then I ended up going to a, a high school that was performing arts specific. Um, it was like an audition-only audition, uh, audition only kind of school and um, I was lucky enough to be in that like first cohort of kids that got to go to that school. Um, that was a state school, but it had these really amazing facilities and incredible, you know, state-of-the-art theatre and all of that. We were very lucky.
0: And, Bobby, is the story the same for you? What did you dream about when you were little?
2: Similar in some ways. I... <sighs>
1: I don't remember like thinking about what I was going to do when I was old. I don't remember being like that. Not And until I, I think I was like 14 and until about that point I thought I was just, I, I, I think I thought I was going to be a dance teacher. Um, and because I love, like I was still, I did choir from when I was really young and I did Irish dancing and, and I was still like um, able to, to tr- try all of these things. Um, and, and I loved doing singing and we did concerts and dancing. And then I, and I, um, specifically found a, a high school that was a bit further away that, um, that had a really good arts department. So I knew that I wanted to do all those things, um, and that I really loved it, but I, I don't know if I thought about doing it as a career and until, until about grade 10. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, though, I could just do this as a job. I don't need to... Do teach people to do? It. I can just do what I that. That's what I would like to do. Um, so yeah, I think it was a bit different in in that way. And I just loved. Um, I I was so um like bold and um empowered at home, and that was a, like I was so so in myself there. But I, I was quite shy, um in sort of outside um situations. But being able to do performing arts was a place that i could be myself and 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 was able to connect to that that part of myself and and expressive and and you know imagination and and i think that yeah by being other people and pretending i was then able to find my confidence in real life and that that was um yeah hugely empowering actually i was the one like searching for classes and searching for places to go and uh, and i found Um, like uni courses that I could go to and and just discovered all of this from thank goodness for for Google Um, otherwise it would have been different I think.
0: And Alex you grew up with a relative working as an actor did that make your goal clearer or you know did that did that impact the way you saw your career trajectory? Well I
2: I do kind of reflect that because I obviously don't know anything different but I reflect back on that time and I hear a lot of my peers saying, I didn't know that was a job. I didn't know that, that was something you could do or even what that looked like. And my cousin is a uh,
0: gold-lucky winning
2: uh, actor, Asha <laughs> Keddie, um, who was the lead on Offspring and now has done many other things. She's quite successful. <laughs> you know, she'd been working pretty consistently from when she was a child, but her career really kind of went on, you know, the up from when I was really starting to want to want um, to wanna act. When I was about twelve, is when she did Love My Way, which was her first like big, big role, Um, and I think it really just made me go, "Oh, this is a real thing. Someone that I'm directly related to, that I know her. I I know her, and she does
0: it." And then for you, Bobby, was was it a similar idea? You kind of wanted to go to a big drama school? Well, I wanted to go to Whopper, and I, I found it online, and I was like,
1: "Oh my gosh." That one, it made sense. It was like, I can, I can see this, what I, I can see the steps that I have to take and what I have to do. And if I get, you know, and so it was sort of a, a clearer path, especially because I didn't have, there were, there weren't any people around that there was anything to sort of, um, echo for me. Um, so that, that made sense. And I mean, it was just like the most exciting thing I could imagine. I was like, I'm going to be like, it's going to be like fame. That's going to be (laughs) my... Because, of course, we all think we're like the special one that's like, yeah, great. And you'll get your job straight out of drama school and then you'll be done. (laughs) And I love musicals, but I didn't get into a musical. Um, and but then all of these other sort of things started to happen and I started doing plays and I decided to make my own write my own show and wrote some two cabarets that I've toured around and and all of this other stuff that I I never never would have planned and it's turned out way better than I could have imagined yeah I look and at some of these big commercial shows which you know oh, so so wonderful and I, I love to go and watch but like I I don't know how happy I'd be doing that for you know 18 months or I I don't know if that's actually the what would fulfill me the most and and where I am now it's like oh this this was always what it was meant to be and Mm -hmm. I just didn't know and and I'm I'm really glad that I was able to be open to that and not not say no that's not that's not what I wanted that's not the thing and and to have allowed it to happen and and, and to be here and making
2: stuff and mm. starting to direct stuff and writing and, yeah. yeah, it's sometimes like what you want and what you think you want are <laughs> actually two different things. Not the things, same, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, I, I love that sentiment. Bobby, I'm interested in what you were saying before about enjoying going to see the big shows and kind of being glad that you're not necessarily in them because I understand that Les Mis was important to you when you were younger Tell me about that.
1: My, uh, my family are not theater people at all. Like, um, quite like, create, like naturally creative and like like storytellers and, and you know love painting and all that sort of thing, but, but not um, not theater people. Uh, and so we'd go um, probably once a year, mum would t- take my little sister and I. To a show um and so much fun all love it but but I didn't have like a big catalogue of shows um that I knew and because like my mum would play like cold chisel and in excess like that's <laughs> that's her her musical taste um but so the musicals that I knew were all of the the like main mainstream ones which you know I guess is, is where most people um, start anyway but Miz was one of the first ones and it was just like a style of music that I just I connected to and could, and have like naturally as a singer was like, oh, this, this feels really good. And just like the stakes are <laughs> like, they could not be higher. And it, it, I think that's the point that like, if you're going to go to a musical and people are just going to start singing, the stakes should be high, like, let's go for it. <laughs> and I remember so vividly, I got this, and I think I just got it from the library. Like, down at the local library I'd get that's where I'd get most of my um CDs from for musical CDs and Les Mis was one I was like what's this and I put it on my little CD player had my earphones in and just sat and I think I even I laid on the floor of my room with my eyes closed and just and because it's a sung through musical like you're not missing any scenes so I just listened to the whole show and I like, imagined it and my sister's like coming up like, go away Tess I'm trying to listen go away and just imagining and sitting there crying. Like I was, well, I would have been, like, 15. Like, what are you doing? You absolute loser. But so, so good. And Alex also has a, a quite a connection to Les music in a different way.
2: It's a show that my family, I, my mum's side of the family in particular, are, like, so deeply connected to. My grandma has always loved musicals and, um, you know, and she got the libretto somehow from the UK. She'd not been overseas before, but she somehow got... A friend of hers was going to the UK, brought back the music of the show, and she set up barricades in her living room and, like, would reenact the show in the late 80s. And just so since then, like, my family go to any, like, amateur production of Les Mis. We just... We're, yeah, we're all going... Let's all go. And we've got
1: our, <laughs> both of our, um, our housemates. We're housemates, yeah. but we have two other housemates, and they're also in musicals. <laughs> yes. uh, so we're always
2: like, have a oh. little, uh, little YouTube. <laughs> clips going on of oh we watched this deep dive this deep dive of lame is the oh, film that's like oh, 45 minutes bobby's watched it three times three
1: times i just am so interested and it's i, fascinating. I it's, it, that's an odd thing for me to watch
2: you don't watch anything more than once really. no so <laughs> something about it. it's really it's yeah. really got me yeah and we'll be like oh no you've seen this version of on my own wait here's another one. wait no you haven't seen theirs you've got to watch it <laughs>
0: I wish we were jumping into a, a song from the Layman soundtrack <laughs> now. <laughs> Instead, we're going to jump into one from Moulin Rouge. Yes. Whose choice was this?
1: Mine, Bobby. I love Moulin Rouge. It's still, it was, that was my, when I saw it, I was like, this is my favourite film and it's still my favourite film. And I love it. And I I got the CD for my, the soundtrack for mm. my birthday um, and because, like, we were quite young when it came out. like it was, oh, yeah. I wouldn't say it was totally appropriate, but the, I was allowed to have the silver soundtrack. And I... It's just, like, it's so beautiful and so theatrical. And, again, like, the stakes are so high that it I just... I'm just a crier anyway but <laughs> yes. it's, I just loved it and I did so many like the CD got so much use I think all through from when I got it to like the end of high school anytime I had to do a number when when you know when I was doing um dance and whatever and I did dance as subject and stuff like that so anytime I'd just pick a song from that and um and yeah and I just uh, adore it um, so yes, and also I think this particular song that we're gonna play, I was also so clueless and didn't realise that these were, the songs weren't, they were um, covers. Like I just, I like <laughs> what I just like. No, no, no. That's just the that's just the, the song, song, and that it's just like a cool medley, and no
0: idea. <laughs> we'll jump into it right now on FBI Radio 94.5. It's Elephant Love Medley by Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman from the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Boy we It was the Elephant Love medley from the Moulin Rouge soundtrack by Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman on FBI Radio 94.5. You're listening to Out of the Box, and right now I'm joined by creators, writers, superstars and very famous people, yes. Alexandra Ketty. <laughs> And Bobby Jean Henning, oh my goodness, what an honour. That's honor. us. We were talking before about your lives as, you know, two separate paths and you'd obviously grown up in different cities, but I want to get to the part where you meet. Where Where does the love story start? Oh, the love Beautiful. story.
2: We actually met at like a um, a grade 12 arts camp in Brisbane. Um, such nerds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we i was doing the music stream and bobby did the drama stream Mm -hmm. um so we didn't have a heck of a lot to do with each other that week but we we've got a photo and i have many memories of us like on the bus together at the front the front of the bus, (laughs) front of the bus and i remember you one day actually like i think it was our last day and you're like i like talking to you and i was like i like talking to you and um we ended up then going to the same uh course after school in brisbane um, and I sent Bobby a message cause it's my birthday's at the start of the year and I was turning 18 at the start of this new year. And I didn't really know many people at this course. So there were school friends and then I knew Bobby was like, this is, I want to make friends with her. I'm going to invite her to my birthday party, which was actually a, d- dinner, at a dinner at a dessert restaurant in sure. Brisbane called Freestylers. And I was like, Hey lovely. Um, it's my, <laughs> it's my birthday soon. I just wanted to know if you maybe want to come to my birthday dinner. I would love to have you there um and yeah bobby came with like, bells yeah, on i didn't know i was like oh, yeah yeah
1: that's so nice and also fortunately i love desserts so i was like look even if it's even if it's weird and awkward at least there'll be dessert <laughs> and um yeah i was like, yeah yeah great uh and yes didn't really didn't know anybody else just came and that's how i i um i rocked up first and yep. i made like little origami earrings so handmade sweet things. Like, yeah you're like so sweet who do you think uh, that? Mom, this uh, is so cool she's so cool <laughs> i remember i like i was like got so dressed up and like had this dress that i'd made out of a old shirt or something a little bow and i was like yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i think it was then we were just became firm friends yeah. that year and we like the friendship was kind of solidified like that's when we that's like our anniversary is then <laughs>
0: Do you celebrate the anniversary? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. That was kind of, our friendship was very much, you know, built on dessert. Built on dessert, that's it. And we, yeah.
1: we also uh, had to travel quite far mm. from where we were um, going into classes uh so we were on the train for
0: like at least an hour together each I day, day so yeah um and this you know, is the the harvest train yeah that's company. right yes yeah so so, so what, what was that what were you doing there
2: um it was a musical theater internship so that was kind of um it was yeah we would we trained for like the first three months of the year and then the last three uh, the last nine months six to nine months whatever it was um was just doing shows so we were doing our own intern shows and then working on their main stage shows as as well um yeah so it was like yeah just like a you know crash course on how to work in that company and you know and at this
0: point, you both were set on going to Whopper at the end, weren't you?
2: Yes,
1: yeah, pretty much.
0: but as as we kind of briefly touched on before, that that's not really how it happened. Uh, one of, one of us went. <laughs> <laughs> one of us went, one of us didn't, yeah, let's get into that. <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, look, devastating. I was obviously deeply devastated, not only to
0: lose my best mate,
2: um, but also not have my dreams come true. Uh, but that's okay. I'm fine now.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you lost your best friend, but tell me about the bobby pack that you got before your best friend went off to the big city. Yeah, so. <laughs> big city
2: of Perth. The <laughs> big
0: city of Perth. <laughs>
2: Um so Bob obviously ever sensitive no knew how you know upsetting it would be and that it was a And like, I was sad too I'll just put course. that in there. It's <laughs> like oh god poor <laughs> <laughs> Alex got to look after her. Um she gave me this pack of Bobby that was like you know a thing I could look at when I missed her. <laughs> and it and had
1: there was yeah all these quotes of like my good advice yeah all these advice <laughs> no
2: things. i don't listen to them of course they're stupid like just little like <laughs> but, piece of advice to to look at whenever i was doubting myself ice cream money that's right so a that yep. little envelope with like four dollars in there for <laughs> it, ice cream the <laughs> thing that was the the most important thing was a cd that had a recording of the Phantom of the Opera, the title song from the musical, The Phantom of the Opera, and but Bobby, a karaoke,
1: so karaoke a person. karaoke
2: track, and Bobby singing the female line, so I could sing along in the male, the male line with my alto <laughs> voice and her soprano,
1: because that was a song sort of, we used to always play that in the car and sing. And because Al is like a tenor. <laughs> I
2: have a very low voice.
1: <laughs> so it worked. Per- I mean, look, I didn't have the high E, but generally <laughs> it worked really well. Yeah. And so so that was something we used to do all the time. So, yeah, I recorded it. But yeah. then um, I didn't have the top note at the end. So... so
0: Bob used like a horn at the end. I recorded for the final a horn note. note. And, yeah, while you were there, Alex, you were working on your own creative projects. Bobby, you came back and made your own creative projects as well. I want to talk about those in a few minutes' time, but first we are going to jump in to The Phantom of the Opera, the title track from Bobby's Bobby Box. Stay tuned. You're on FBI Radio 94.5.
3: I am the mask wear. It's me they hear. My spirit, spirit my voice.
0: It was the title track from Phantom of the Opera on FBI Radio 94.5. It was chosen by my guests on Out of the Box, Alexandra Ketty and Bobby Jean Henning, whose web series The Power of the Dream dropped yesterday. Before making The Power of the Dream, you were each forging your own individual paths in drama. Alex, I want to know about your involvement with the TV show Offspring.
2: Oh, yeah, I... Um... So I'd moved to Melbourne. I did. I did one more year at Harvest Australian in Brisbane, and then I moved to Melbourne when I was twenty, and it was a pretty disastrous start to um, my journey in Melbourne. Um, but after I'd been here for about six months, I got a call from my cousin Asher. On so it was my twenty first birthday, and she's like, "Hello, Alex, happy birthday! Also, we have a girl on our show who does the voiceovers for my character. Would you like to be her?" <laughs> and I just went, um, y- "Yep, sure." I was currently studying full time dance, which <laughs> if you know me is a big joke, is so ridiculous why I clearly was lost if I was studying full time dance. And then this offspring thing. And then comes the offspring up. thing happened, which, you know, obviously there's nepotism involved in that, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you say your voice was recording the voice overs, were you pretending to be the main characters in a monologue? Your voice went to the air as well? No.
2: So that's where it was quite confusing and initially i didn't quite understand what the job was but she was just like yep you start tuesday and i started a few days later it's my first time on a set any set um and you know this is a huge huge, huge set and what season like they this was work... season four yeah. so yeah they There's were already a machine running yeah. absolutely in full swing of it um nina was very pregnant at the time <laughs> um and yeah so basically the character has an inner monologue but because of timing and for asher as well to kind of um, get a handle on what that character is saying. They had someone on set do it. And in, initially it was like a runner or an AD that would do it. And then they were like, oh, I think we need to get an actor. And, you know, um, Asher and I, we've always, even though we, like I didn't really grow up with her, I grew up in a different state. We've always had a weird kind of, I always sounded a bit like her and my intonations were always a bit similar. And so it made a lot of sense because I kind of knew how to imitate her pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, which I ended up getting probably like, pretty good at actually by the end. Um, and new directors would be very like, whoa, who is that? That's weird. Um, especially because I'd be hiding like in the back of cars and underneath weird set pieces and There's so many scenes, I'm like, yep, I'm in in the back of that car and I'm behind that weird wall and, oh, that's me. They had to put me in as an extra in that one because they couldn't hide me anywhere. And you just have your back turned to
0: the camera talking. Yeah, there were so many weird ones.
2: And, like, I ended up doing all of the phone calls as well because they're always on the phone. So with the voiceovers, Asha would end up um, recording over them Um, and obviously with the phone calls it wouldn't be me in the end. But on set it would be me pretending to be Billy or pretending to be Mick or Geraldine or whoever Um, and so there'd be scenes where I had to do voiceover and phone calls. And sometimes there was one I had to do like four or five different characters in one scene whilst like walking backwards with a (laughs) megaphone so they could hear me and head like wild and carrying a script because I, you know, wouldn't need to learn the lines, but it was, so it was an unbelievable crash course in this is how a set runs. This is what you do, but kind of without too much pressure because I wasn't on camera and ultimately these are very professional actors who knew what they were doing, but, um, yeah, it was it was wild. I did it for three seasons and it was, you know, a very,
0: very good experience. And and very different to the things you've gone on to make as well. Now we get to see your face and hear your voice. And in part of being seen and heard, each of you have made your own cabaret shows. Bobby, tell me about yours.
1: Uh, yes, I was thinking about the other day. And because in my mind I was like oh yeah like nothing much was happening so I decided to write a show and then I realized I was like oh that was my first year out of uni like calm down anyway but it that's how it felt at least so I decided to write something um because I was getting itchy and just wanted to you know be on stage and and do the thing that I was I was ready to do uh and so I um yeah and like no idea just started doing it just started right picked all these a bunch of songs that I wanted to do and thought about oh how would they go together and they were all so random that I was like oh I know if I time travel if it's a magical time traveling show then then I can do whatever I want um so I I wrote that and um, and then, fortunately, I was also living with a, a pianist who, who's now a dear friend. Uh, so he did the show with me, and, and we did it back in Brisbane. Um, sorry, Brisbane. Um, and I just kind of—I don't even know—like just worked out how to produce as well. Like just called up, it was like, "Okay, well, what other things that I need?" Um, okay, yeah, I guess that's what I will do, uh, and started. Uh, I toured that show as well I did um, did it at Perth fringe I did it down in Melbourne um, actually and Sydney as well um, and and it was great like it's such a different thing to perform a solo show um, it takes you just don't have even that you know you do have an accompanist normally but but you don't have anyone else to sort of hold on to and mm-hmm. and if the audience aren't with you it's all on you Um but it's also wonderful, and you can connect with your audience in a different way, and and just a, such a, a great way to, um, again, like explore yourself as an artist and what do you want to say and, and what's um, how do you want to do things, um, and then I, I did that show for a bit, and between that there was all sorts of different projects, and um, and then I got to the point it's like oh I think I'd really like to do another show of my own. I'd like to write something else, um, and I was like, I want to do something totally different. Uh, so I did a show called "All Hail Me," where I play um, King Henry VIII, uh, <laughs> which yeah is just so fun. And I, I like I you know I look kind of sweet, I guess like big eyes and little chubby cheeks. Uh, so that's sort of the sort of thing that I would normally um, be up for. But this character is like so gross and obnoxious and loud, and but in a way is like more close to and like close to me in ways anyway um so it was so much it was so fun such a fun role to to do and sing in a different way and um yeah and I loved it and I do think part of it it's like it's such a great way to start writing um you know and start learning yeah. learning about structure and learning about uh character dialogue and and all of that sort of yeah. thing without having to complicate it with relationship yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it's, then it's achievable on top yes, of that. You exactly. can actually do it. You don't need you don't need to it's we not a ten-year process. Yes, yeah, you it's can just, get it up in six months or something. Definitely, you yeah. book, you just book a venue, and I think I think both of us did that. We yeah. like booked venues without having a show finished. Yeah, that and was like, the deadline. Let's do it then. You <laughs> yeah. know, both
0: of us. I think, yeah, definitely. And was that the case for you, Alex? Tell me about your cabaret shows.
2: Yeah, I um I started writing my show, which is called I See Me and Meryl Streep, um, which is about a seventeen-year-old girl. We, who loves Meryl Streep and she's kind of her hero and for me it was about channeling my kind of the obsessions I had as a teenager and I wanted to kind of channel that because I would often get know, teased a little bit and kind of just have like cold water poured on my head for being such a very passionate enthusiastic precocious kid really I just I loved things so much a bit like Bobby with the Blame soundtrack I was so like that with you know, with movies and with musicals and I just, you know, I loved Wicked so much Uh, and I loved Meryl Streep and I was watching her films from when I was too young to watch them, (laughs) way too young. I was like, I'm 12, I need to watch Sophie's Choice. Um, And so I wanted to channel that energy into a character and kind of, you know, write a love letter to that 17-year-old that I was, you know, that Mm. wasn't really appreciated for those things. And so I wrote this cabaret that at the same time was also me being like, no one's giving me work. I need to show them what I can do because, because of offspring, I was in this weird place where I knew a lot of people. Like I knew a lot of, I got to work with amazing directors like Shannon Murphy and Emma Freeman and Kate Dennis and Dana Reed and like Wayne Blair, like amazing directors. But they didn't really know. I mean, even, even on set, they'd be like, what do you do? I'm like, Mm. I'm an actor. And so I was like, well, I need to do this show and have at least a couple people know what I do and what my thing is and on my terms. And, it felt like that. It was a lovely combination because I, I hadn't got into Whopper or, or NIDA or anything. And I loved musicals, but my voice was not really right for it. But this was an opportunity for me to sing, but mm. in a way that I could sing, that I could sing the songs, you know, but my songs and, you know, in the keys, in your key, yeah. <laughs> in my key and, and could, you know, still do the thing I love doing. Um. So, yeah, I wrote this show. I, I kind of took about 10 months to write it and, and just, you know, chipped away at it slowly and. Found all my props because I really love props. Loves a prop. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> so getting the prop, the Butterfly Club, which is the show we've both, we, place we've both done shows. Uh, it's like on level four and it's all stairs. <laughs> so I'm carrying like suitcases and like yeah,
1: not just props, like a full set. There's little oh, ladders yeah. and then you came, you came to Sydney as well because yes. I was we were living interstate for for. Um, a lot of our friendship. And, um, yeah, you came up to Sydney and had yeah. all... I was like, why did you bring all of this stuff? I need and a it. full a full cutout of Merrill as well. Oh, yeah, a full Meryl oh, Streep cutout that you
2: had to keep at your house for ages because I yes, couldn't get it back. Yes, that's right. It was too big and too expensive and full. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, my full Meryl Street cutout. I'm so proud of that cutout. Yes. And then uh, that that's
1: when you did it in Sydney Yeah. and you um, lost your voice. Completely. Completely lost your voice. So I had to come... I mean, I was came to the tech... Uh, the tech rehearsal, and I just sat there with the script, having to say the lines while i like mouth it and move through the space because you're like, I can't, there's no way I can. I've got to conserve
0: it, I've got one go at these songs, and then I'm cooked. So, both hugely creative forces making what sound to be really funny things, and you've gone on to make really funny things, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. We are talking dreams right now on FBI Radio 94.5. So it is fitting to jump into a song about dreams. What's the next track you've chosen? The
2: um, next track I've chosen is uh, an ABBA song. I, it was imperative that ABBA make the final cut, partly because of the Meryl Streep show, it's 95% ABBA music. <laughs> um, but, I mean, ABBA, the ABBA Gold album, I think, played on repeat my whole childhood, and it included that's it i had in excess and you had abba <laughs> so. i had abba abba and celine dion was that's yes. what i grew up with and then like feminist tracks just, yeah <laughs> Helen i am Reddy. woman hell, yeah Helen ready um and but this song i have a dream we went and visited my grandma who my grandma who at the time had been working in saudi arabia as a nurse because she um had never traveled in her life and at 50 um, was done with men, got a law degree, and moved to Saudi Arabia to work as a nurse so she could be right near Europe. And she was like back for a bit living in Parramatta. And we went up, we flew up from Tassie, where mum and I were living, to visit her. And Nanny played I Have a Dream by ABBA <laughs> over and over and over again in this hotel that we were all staying in. And we just called it the Never Ending Song. And um, yeah, it's it's, you know, it's a very special. That was a lovely. It's a lovely special memory of of my grandmother, who I mm. didn't get to spend much time with growing up, and then spent a lot of time with in like my um in my teens. Um, and she's a very special person in my life. Mm. That nanny, mm. um, she yeah. After that Saudi Arabia trip, she then went and taught English in China. She then sold her house and just like has a motorhome and just drives around Australia and just like amazing. She's nuts. Uh, my <laughs>
1: again, my connection. Uh, I think it's probably probably more poetic than yours, um, <laughs> is that I, uh, we, um, the school choir, we got enlisted to sing the backing vocals of this and, and Fernando um, <laughs> at a big casino, um, and what are they called when you do the shows? What's it called?
2: That's I, like Creative Generation? No, no, no. Skate. When mm. they... they ABBA, they play ABBA. They pretend to be ABBA. Oh,
1: yeah. What are they called? A tribute band. A tribute band. (laughs) Tribute band at the casino. And so we, my um, high school choir drove down every day for two weeks to sing the backing vocals of I Have a Dream. So that's my (laughs) connection.
3: I have a dream.
0: You are tuned in to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming on the website, that was ABBA. The song was called I Have a Dream, and we played it because we're talking all about dreams right now on Out of the Box. I am joined by Alexandra Keddy and Bobby Jean Henning, who yesterday launched their web series, The Power of the Dream. Tell me about the web series, ladies, what is it? Uh, oh, it's a really a serious documentary
2: about <laughs> sport um it follows cousin best friends Brooke and Amy Bland who are desperate to go to the Olympics however they are we would call them athletically challenged mm, i think so um yes so they in spite of this um inability to and uh, they have a complete no awareness at all that they are um on any good that they're not any good. They're not any good at sport. So, it's yeah, it's a mockumentary. It's a it's a comedy series. Uh,
1: um, and, yeah, they've decided they've, they love trying things out. They've done um, wood chopping before. They've yep. done uh, salsa, dancing, salsa dancing, macrame, yeah. the Kokoda Trail. The Kokoda Trail. That's it. So they love giving things <laughs> a go and they've decided that, yeah, the Olympics, that's what's next. Um, they're going, they're going to win gold uh, and all they need to do is is work out which sport yeah what sport's going to take them to the podium so this is them um trying to work that out
2: yeah trialing each sport uh i play Brooke Bland, who is is
1: the trainer and so she's got a background uh she's an assistant manager at best and less so she's quite uh you know she's a leader she's she's uh ready to inspire um and uh that's that. That's her role, and and she she takes great pride in that. There is there is no love lost in her not being the athlete.
2: No, not uh, at all. They're very good at knowing um, what their strengths are and admiring the strengths in the other. Absolutely, um, and because um, Amy was yeah. a, oh, I won the cricket award in grade five, so clearly, I'm, and I'm a dog walker, so clearly the athlete of the of the duo.
0: I watched the first episode yesterday, where Amy swims fifty meters and beats the world record first go. It's it's quite remarkable, along with acting. I didn't know you were so athletically talented, Alex. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> um, that. That's okay.
2: <laughs> Where did the idea come from? Um, it started when I wanted to do an adult gymnastics class. Um, I, a bit like the Blands, am a real toe dipper. I love kind of trialling new things. Um, I'll give anything a red hot go. Um and I called Bobby just you know, one of our catch ups of what are you up to? So, oh well I um I thought I'd do adult gymnastics. And Bobby is very supportive but very honest as a best mate and was just like, Oh um, what are you talking about? I don't know um, about this. It's a really bad idea. Look at those weak ankles. Yes.
1: What are you thinking? Very weak
2: ankles. <laughs> um flimsy limbs. Um flimsy. and yeah, she I was like, No, 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 I was really great. I did a cartwheel on the beam in grade five. I think my my physical abilities peaked at 10. Um, and she's like, all right, then, well, I'll support you going to the Olympics. And, you know, as we've said before, this was kind of after we'd done these solo shows and we'd done I'd done The Housemaid and, you know, we were really wanting to work together. And so we had this little idea that we thought we'd make a little short film from, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of, uh, we took
1: this idea and our friend Meg... Um, who uh, she was also the director of the series. She ended up directing the whole series. Um, and she came with us and we just hired out a gymnastics centre for the afternoon um, and we just, like, uh, filmed. Uh, Meg yeah. was on camera and lighting and sound and trying to keep track as we were just making stuff up. We had no mm. plan, really. A jet, mm. we, had, we knew the characters, but we were just uh, improvising and, and doing anything like anything that sort of would make the other laugh um yeah. and, and then we put put that or Meg put put it together and we were like oh maybe maybe there's a bit more here than we thought there's a lot more story that's possible and and more fun to be had yeah. so um we thought we'd uh, do what we can to make a
0: a series out of it yeah. and uh, here we are yeah uh, well, Two and a half years here later, are, yeah. here we are. <laughs> yeah. well, 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 that's the thing, too, because this series was supposed to align with the original date of the Tokyo Olympics. And like the Olympics, COVID has come in and <laughs> played a role in the way that you were able to get things out. Tell me about that. What what happened when COVID hit?
2: Yeah, well, we were all ready to shoot last April. So we applied for funding at the very end of 2019. We literally spent our like New Year's break finalising our application. And then we got approved in early Feb and were ready to go and we'd finalised the scripts and... Um, we, you know, started to get our crew together and locations and everything. And then, um, yeah, a little pandemic happened. And obviously I think like everyone, we didn't know how big mm. this pandemic was. We, we didn't have no idea how long this might all last. And so that, like, all right, well, we're postponing it um maybe it'll be a month maybe two months we'll see how and we we'll go be back yeah and then when it started looking like it was a bit more intense um we were fortunate enough that Screen Australia supported us to develop the scripts further that like, look, you look you're locked inside you may as well you know keep working on this so we were able to kind of go back and and rewrite the scripts and um develop it further with all this new information and because the series is like um it's a mockumentary, but we tried to frame it a bit like a fake doco. We tried to bring it into the real world as much as possible. Um, and so, yeah, we we didn't want to make it about COVID, but we wanted to acknowledge what... That would be in the Bland's world. Exactly. Like how that would affect them, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as the series is, you know, a mockery and making fun a little bit of, of these two and their hopes and dreams, it's also meant to honour and respect the hard work and dedication that goes into... Into an athlete's life, and you know, um, it would have been hugely devastating for a lot of athletes last oh, year, like totally. shattering. And yeah, unsha- like
1: we were shattered because our <laughs>
2: our series <laughs> got postponed <laughs> a year.
1: Yeah, so I can't imagine what that would have been. Yeah, um, and but but uh, saying that, it was. Uh, to our good fortune that the Olympics got <laughs> postponed because that was sort of our, like, yeah. worst case, apart from if getting fully cancelled, like our show being fully cancelled. Um for us to be postponed, but then the Olympics to go ahead last year
2: would have been Ooh, pretty rough. Like, imagine yeah. a show about the Olympics a year after the Olympics. Doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so,
1: for, for us, that was um, that was lucky. That
2: for yeah. us, yeah. So, knowing that the Olympics was a deadline and it was going to be four more years until the next, the next one, one, we're like, look, we Let's know that we, it, yeah. yeah, we can do this on a pretty small budget that Screen Australia will solely fund. Um, it's it is achievable. It's hard, but it's okay. Um, and we'll have total freedom and it just uh, you know just yeah it just meant we we didn't have to answer to many people
1: <laughs> apart, apart from each other yeah
3: um,
1: which I think as a you know emerging writers to be able to really hear your own voice yes and and, and know what's important before before going being yes. a
2: part of those big, big companies yeah. that, that have different things at stake. Yeah, and it is a, it's a really great model that I think is emerging and that where, you know, you are still able to do a fully funded piece where everyone got paid proper award rates. But, yeah, you don't have that influence. And we are now starting to – we are now in that space where we're – interacting with bigger companies and bigger broadcasters and we know that that influence is going to come in and that's very welcomed at the same time because it's people who know so much (laughs) and so experienced but it's so nice to go in there with your own backbone and with your own strength and understanding of what you stand for and what you want both creatively but also how you want your set to run how you want um things to go and everything it's and knowing like these are things that we want
1: um, but we've done them so there's no reason not to and, and the sort of, yeah, the space that, that we yeah. had on our set and the things that, that we implemented that it's like, well, if people say, oh, no, we can't do that, we can sort of say, oh, actually, we, we have. We did that on a so, micro budget. Yeah, so, it, <laughs> it, you know, it might be, it might be different um, yeah. but, but
2: maybe that's okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, you know, and then like our producer, Elise McCann, who – Um, came on in in uh, January of this Mm -hmm. year is just, she's incredible and maybe the most organised person I've ever met. (laughs) Um, And she comes from theatre and I think that all of us having a theatrical background, just um, you're used to even smaller budgets and even more kind of thinking outside the box and being creative and all that kind of thing. And so um, I think that's been really a wonderful
0: platform to start with. And part of that freedom as well that you're talking about meant that 80% of the crew of this show identify as female and then you know your heads of department and the development creatives identify as female as well. Why do you think that choice was important to make?
2: Yeah I mean it was both conscious but very easy. Mm. (laughs) It's very easy. I mean most of the people that that we know are in are female identifying um, or non-binary and so it wasn't Um, it certainly wasn't a challenge and they're all, you know, there because they're excellent at their jobs and were the best people for the, for their roles. But I think what that was able to do, it was a very, it was very empathetic and compassionate set and a very, um, very warm and welcoming set as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's
1: one of those interesting things where it's like, oh Yeah. I forgot that.
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, There were only a few times a, that yeah. Yeah, you'd look around and be
0: like, oh, there's only two blokes here. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, um, do you think that warmth carries across into what the audience sees when they watch The Power of the Dream?
2: I hope so. Well,
0: I guess there's only one way to find out.
3: Yeah, <laughs> there's one way to find out. You'll
0: have to, we'll have to watch it. We'll have to so watch where, it. Where do we find it? As a web series, it's on Facebook, I assume. Yeah. Facebook YouTube.
2: and Instagram. Uh, not YouTube. We've gone Facebook and Instagram. Um, At the Power of the Dream series on both platforms. Um, So all episodes are now out and released on Facebook and EPS 1 and 2 will be on Instagram. We're releasing Instagram daily. Um,
0: but Facebook are all out at once um,
2: if people want to binge it or if you want to just, you know, have a little snippet each day, go on to Instagram.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I'll, I'll pop those links up in the program's page on fbiradio.com as well. So if you're listening to this, you can find them. Bobby and Alex, thanks so much for jumping on the show today. It was so nice chatting Thank to you. Thank you so much Thank for having so us. Much. It's lovely. What song would you like to finish things off on?
2: The penultimate song. How How could
1: we choose anything else, Al? The power, power of the, the dream.
2: dream by the one the <laughs> Celine Dion. Dion. Uh, Bobby and I have been, like, such strong Celine Dion fans for and our entire yes, friendship. She, and, I brought Celine into my life. Yeah, I'd say I did. Yeah, um, I'd say you did too. <laughs> I grew it. up with a lot of Celine, mum treated her like God um, in our house and Bobby and I both, we went to, I flew up to Sydney to go to Celine Dion's concert and we wore backwards suits, even though everyone else was just in jeans and (laughs) T-shirts, embarrassing for them Um, (laughs) and we cried and sang our hearts out and had the most magical time and we love Celine.
0: We'll jump into that one right now on FBI Radio 94.5. It's The Power of the Dream by Celine Dion. If you did want to listen back to this episode, you can do so on the programs page on FBIRadio.com and it will also be available to stream wherever you get your podcasts. Stick around after this song. Brie Kennedy is up for lunch. Bye.